Well, it's good to be back. It's good to be back in cool and dry Southern California after spending five days in hot and humid Alabama. Yeah, right. We experienced firsthand Southern hospitality. How many of you have ever been in the South? Southern hospitality. We, we, we basically existed on a diet of Krispy Kreme donuts, sweet tea, and an occasional catfish fry. I mean, we got firsthand, you know, what it was like to be in a small town in Alabama. In fact, it was one of those towns where it had a main street, and I swear, after a few days driving up and down the street, that I was in a Twilight Zone episode, <laughs> and, and, and I was looking to do a good deed to somehow be set free. It was like, are we on the street again? Yeah, it was the same street. And there's, you know, there wasn't a whole bunch to do, but we did, we like to do little different things when, when we go on vacation. So we went horseback riding. We, we don't do that too often. And so Linda and I went horseback riding. It was either that or go visit the Piggly Wiggly. And um, <coughs> so we, we decided we'd, we'd, you know, do some horseback riding. And, you know, and it was one of those things, you never know what's going to happen. But it started out just fine. You know, Linda got up on her horse and, and you know, being a guy, you know, I, I ran and jumped up on the back like, you know, the Lone Ranger. You know why? Because I'm just a guy and that's the way guys do things. You just don't do anything easy, right? Bring that stool over. No, watch this. And, you know, a couple of times it hurt, but the third time it felt all right. But um, got up there, everything started good. Linda's horse started to go and mine, we're following each other. We're taking in all the sights. We listen to some music. And all of a sudden, for some reason, the, the, the horse started to go around in circles. It started to go around faster. Mine started chasing her. We're going around in a circle. She's screaming. I don't know if she's laughing, if she's crying or what. I stand up kind of on the horse to see what's going on. I slip and fall. I'm getting dragged by the stirrups. I'm bouncing my head off the ground. And I'm thinking, I am going to die in Alabama. And just at the time I'm thinking of all these thoughts, the manager that came out ran out, unplugged the machine, and everything was okay. So it, it, was, it was all right. It was okay. So you don't have to worry about it. But um, you know, actually, there, there is a point to that story, um, other than the fact that you know, it's humorous. But one of the points that I, that I want to make through that is, isn't it easy to misinterpret situations if you don't have all the facts? Isn't that true? And uh, basically what we're doing as we're going through this problem that we started to talk about a couple of weeks ago is that the same thing is true with the problem of alcohol or the problem of uh, drinking. Um, we need to start to look at the facts. We started to do that. And uh, what we want to do as we go through this is we need to look at the facts for the purpose of coming to conclusions based on all the information that's available to us. It's too easy to misinterpret situations based on just limited amount of knowledge and reading into it what we want it to say one way or the other. So we can come to wrong conclusions. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through and take a look at statements that are made in the Bible that are clear, that are concise, that are not subject to our own interpretation as to what we want it to say, but we're going to look to see what it actually says. And uh, the reason that we want to do that is I think that every one of us who want to do what's right before God want the most accurate information that's available to come to right conclusions. Otherwise, we're going to come to wrong conclusions based on misinformation. So the purpose always of getting together and studying the Bible is to see what does the Bible actually say, not coming into it with the mindset that says, here's what I believe about it. I don't think there's a problem having a glass of wine. I don't think there's a problem having a few beers. I don't think there's a problem with the martini at lunch over business. You know, we don't want to come into it saying, that's my mindset. I don't have a problem with it. Now let's find some biblical support of it that's confusing enough that I can continue to validate whatever my thinking is. And on the other hand, we don't want to come into it saying, I, I just have been always told that drinking is absolutely wrong, and I don't care what anybody else says, uh, I'm going to find some way to prove that it's right. 
you know, we don't want to read into Scripture what we believe in our own minds for whatever reasons. We want to be able to study it, examine the facts, and allow God to teach us or to convict us through the power of His Holy Spirit and the presence of His people to be able to teach us accurately the word of truth. Jesus said about the Holy Spirit that when He would come, that He would guide us into truth. And we need to look at the Scripture and understand what God says about the subject, regardless of what we personally believe as we entered here this morning. So that's what we're going to take a look at. There's going to be five statements that we're going to examine. Five very clear statements that are concise, that cannot be misinterpreted. You'd have to do some major gymnastics to try to make them say anything other than what they say. Five statements. Three of them today. Then we'll look at two of them next week. And also uh, maybe some uh, response that would be generated based on the information. So three statements today. If you've got your Bible, well, you know what? Actually, you don't even need to turn to it at this point um, because I've got, I've got it on the overhead that we can look at. But statement number one, we looked at a couple of sessions ago, and we looked at it in great detail. Uh, so just as a matter of quick review, the, the Bible basically teaches that alcoholic beverages are dangerous. Alcoholic be beverages are dangerous. Now, some of us would say, well, you know what? Just because something da is dangerous doesn't necessarily m mean that it would be wrong. Um, on the other hand, you know, for those who like to live on the edge and, and live life and risk things, you look and say, well, just because it's dangerous, does that necessarily mean that it's wrong? Well, let's take a look at a couple passages, at least these two and several others, would indicate that, that alcoholic beverages are dangerous. Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, and beer a brawler, or intoxicating drink a brawler, depending on your translation, and whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Proverbs 23, 33, we read, Your eyes will see strange things, or strange sights, and your mind will imagine confusing things. Speaking about those who drink alcoholic beverages. Three things, basically, that we need to understand as we consider what's dangerous about drinking alcoholic beverages. Number one, drinking alcoholic beverages are deceptive in nature. They're deceptive. That's what it means. Wine is a mocker. It's deceptive. It makes you believe that it's not a problem when actually it might be. And those who drink alcoholic beverages, these are the kind of statements that they make. I don't have a problem. Okay? I can handle it. I'm not drunk. I can quit anytime. I don't need to drink. Those are the type of statements that are made by people who drink alcoholic beverages. You've heard them. I've heard them. We've all heard them. We've heard them in a variety of settings. The point of the, uh, of the passage is very simple, is that wine is a mocker. God's saying to us, though we justify and rationalize all the things that we do, he's saying very categorically that wine is a mocker, meaning this, that it'll laugh in your face, that alcoholic beverages as they're consumed will have the last laugh in your life at some point, somewhere downstream. may not be immediate, it may be downstream, maybe later on, but at some point, somewhere, they're going to get the last laugh. And then you'll look back and you go, man, you know what, God's right, maybe drinking alcoholic beverages has been dangerous in my life. Wine is a mocker. The second thing is not only is it deceptive, but it's also destructive. And beer, a brawler. Intoxicating drink, a brawler. Indicating physical violence. We went through this in great detail. We've all seen it. All you have to do is sit in the end zone section at a Rams game getting about the fourth quarter. And uh, you see and I see all the stuff that goes on. And all it takes is three quarters of, of drinking some beer. And especially the monster beers, that's good, you know, so you don't have to go back and forth so many times. Uh, you got to haul them in a, with a wagon. But, um, you know, but the bottom line is by the fourth quarter, I mean, people are hammering on each other. Man, they're pounding each other. Uh, Linda and I spent the other night at St. Joseph's Hospital after one of our son's baseball games. Linda, you know, being the, the uh, 
the, the nearsighted shortstop that she is, caught a foul ball, bounced up off the asphalt, caught her in the lip. So we ended up uh, in St. Joe's, and you know we had all kind of great stories how she saved 16 people from a burning building. That's how she cut her lip, because you know you don't want to say you got hit with a foul ball at your kid's little league game. But anyway. Um, so that's what we did. But it was funny because one of the guys who came into the emergency room uh, had this big old long story about how he was at the Angel game and some people were drinking. They got drunk and the next thing you know, he got thrown three owls, you know, which is the right thing for him to say if he got picked up and thrown because he lost a fight. But, uh, you know, just an innocent bystander. And, and usually that happens, though, if you've ever been around it. It's always somebody who's not involved that gets clocked and, and it's the people that are drinking that don't even feel it. And the Bible talks about that. They don't even feel it. They don't even know what's going on. They wake up the next day. How did I get this bruise on my face or whatever? But what, what God's saying is that, hey, don't be deceived by this. You know, alcoholic beverages um, create physical violence. They do. We'll go into more detail on that next time. Uh, Proverbs 23, 33, and the third point that, that God wants to emphasize in our life as far, as far as the danger of alcoholic beverages, your eyes will see strange sights and your mind imagine confusing, and uh, some translations say perverse things. Perverse things are things that are not according to the standards of God. They're things that would be absolutely contrary to what God says is right and wrong. And those who drink alcoholic beverages begin to believe things or think things uh, that at some point in time they would know, especially uh, when they're sober, they would know are wrong. But when they get drunk, they're not as wrong. And it begins to deteriorate. The, the moral code or value system that God has placed in our hearts begins to deteriorate because we lose our inhibitions because of alcoholic beverages. Let, let, me just, let me just illustrate this point. How many of you, at some point in your life, have ever been drunk? How many? How many of you, keep your hands up, how many of you that have been drunk, and, and we still got the rest of the people that need to pick up the tape, order some tapes on the problem of lying for all the rest of them. <laughs> And we dealt with that, um, but that's okay. You know, we all have our little things we're trying to get over here. Um, how many of you, uh, okay, well, let's not be proud of it now. You're the only one with your hand. I thought. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, and happy Father's Day. You know, the gals have been waiting for this, you know, this, uh, this rebuke uh, since the Mother's Day backlash, um, you know. Oh, man, you're getting nasty here. Wait, all right, we're not done yet. It's early. Wait, wait. Oh, well, let's close in prayer. Um, Oh, where was I going? Oh, here's where, here's where I was going. Okay, for those of you who have ever been drunk, how many of you have ever done something stupid while drunk that you never would have done while sober? I mean, you know, the old dance, you know, dance with the lampshade on your head, whatever. I mean, think about this. Think about how many people get drunk, they do things, or now you either do or say things that you wish you never would have said or done. And the only reason you did it was because you said, well, I was drunk. Well, yeah, that's true. And the dangerous situation about drinking alcoholic beverages, according to the Bible, is, is that not only is it deceptive and not only is it destructive, but it also, if you look at it, diminishes our inhibitions and we begin to do and say things that we would never do otherwise if we had control over what we were doing. Uh, a friend of mine is, is an accountant in a big eight accounting firm. They had a Christmas party. He was telling me about after our, the last time we met together. He said it was unbelievable. So they were at this country club and, uh, and they had an open bar. By the end of the night, they had a full-scale brawl. I mean, they had a brawl. Basically, they had a brawl. They ended up getting kicked out of this place. And, I mean, can you imagine the publicity that you get from this? They had clients there. They had customers that were there. They had this big brawl that started because somebody got drunk, said something to somebody about something that they didn't know what, you know, they don't even remember what happened. They got kicked out. And the repercussions or the ripple effect of this continue to go on for a long time. 
But we've all been there. We've all seen that. We've even been involved in it. And we know how embarrassing it is. And so what God is saying is this very simple. Look, drinking alcoholic beverages, regardless of what you thought coming in, is a dangerous situation. And we can illustrate it a million ways. And it becomes so obvious that sometimes we don't even recognize how true it really is. It's so obvious we can't see it. But here's the kicker for me. In verse 1 of chapter 20, God says this, And whoever is led astray by them, speaking of alcoholic beverages, whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Now stop and think about the whole purpose of the book of Proverbs. The whole purpose as we've gone through it is to understand how to live wisely versus how to live like a fool. The first session that we taught was on the problem of wisdom. Understanding how to live wisely versus living like a fool. Uh, and so what God is saying is, you know, there, there's, a, there's a wise way or a right way to live, or there's a foolish right way and a long way to wrong way to live. And the contrast is all throughout the book of Proverbs, as well as in the entirety of Scripture. The Bible is to teach us how to live ways that are pleasing and right before God if we are truly God's people. That's it. So you look at this and say, man... Well, whoever, whoever's led astray, well, it's not wise. Okay, simple thing. Here it goes. I don't know how, simple, how much simpler this can get. Drinking al alcoholic beverages is not wise. Not drinking alcoholic beverages is wise. Man, I mean, some of the, the, the deepest theological stuff I ever learned was a kid in romper room. You know, do be a do be, don't be a don't be. You know what I mean? And, 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 and uh, this is it right here. I mean, this is a grown-up version of do be, do be, don't be, don't be, right? Here, here it is. You know, do be wise. Don't drink. Don't be a don't be. Do something. I don't know how, how that one finishes up. You know, I don't have the little magic wand. You know, I, I don't see what's going on. But the bottom line is, is that it's just not wise, plain and simple. But I know some of us aren't convinced by that. We kind of say stuff like this. Oh, it's only, you know, it's, oh, that's, that's, only, that's only little vice I got. You know, oh, it's the only one, you know, and it's not really vice because I don't really have a problem with it, you know, because I, I don't have to drink. I just do it because I want to do it. Just don't wine. I don't really have a problem. I don't have to drink. I, you know, that's, you know, it's kind of like it's my only little vice. And I, and I hear people say, well, it's the only vice I have. And I'm thinking, well, like, how many are you entitled to? <laughs> what do we got, like one to three? What's the scale here, you know? And, and what book did you read that out of in the Bible? Uh, Second Opinions 527? Where was it? <laughs> you know, where do we come up with this stuff? But people say things like that, you know? It's, well, it's my only little vice, you know? And I went to the dentist the other day, and she said, well, you, you know, teeth are stained. It's like, uh, do you drink tea? Yeah, I drink iced tea. And I said, well, you know, hey, that's my only little vice. Um, and it's kind of like, and then I'm thinking, what a stupid thing to say to a dental assistant, you know? Because it's like the only thing they care about is teeth, you know? And it's like if you drink tea and it stains your teeth, well, you would think that you wouldn't drink it if you cared about white teeth, you know what I mean? So I could say that to other people that, you know, hey, my vice is drinking iced tea, you know, and then bouncing off the wall all night long and, and uh, you know, that kind of thing. But that's what God is trying to say is alcoholic beverages are dangerous. Now some of you think, well, that's not enough for me. Okay, well, let's keep going. Now, the Bible also says that there are certain people that are denied, regardless of the stage, and now we get into this stuff again, regardless of the stage of fermentation, regardless of what's going on as far as the process is made, God says there are certain people in the Bible who are denied alcoholic beverages, plain and simple. No way you can get around it. And so, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to take a look at a couple of illustrations of this. In uh, Leviticus 10.9, beginning your book, turn to Leviticus 10.9. There are certain people in the Bible who God says are categorically denied the privilege or whatever you want to call it or the, uh, the, the option of drinking alcoholic beverages. 
Leviticus 10.9. It's on page uh, 87. Leviticus 10.9. We read this. Speaking to the priests, do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you. When you come into the tent of meeting so that you may not die, it is a perpetual or an eternal statute throughout all of your generations. God instructed the priests in the Old Testament that they were not to in any way, shape, or form get near alcoholic beverages. The role of the priest was to be a mediator between man and God. The role of the priest was to represent the people. And as we look at this in the Old Testament, God said very specifically to them, hey, you are not to get near alcoholic beverages. The purpose also of the priest was to teach the truth of the laws of God. And you need to be clear-minded to do that. And as we look at this and understand that, you know, the basic truth in teaching the Word of God is that it needs to be clear, it needs to be concise, it can't be diluted by strange thinking as we just saw in Proverbs 23, 33. So God warned the priest, said, hey, you know what? You don't have an option, you can't drink. You know, I started to think about this and a, a couple of thoughts came to mind. And if, if you've got your Bibles, look at 1 Peter for a second, chapter 2. There's an interesting transition that takes place as we look into the New Testament as far as this whole role of the priest is concerned. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, we read this interesting thought. He says to God's people, But you are a chosen race, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. An interesting transition takes place as we look into the New Testament and realize that God's people that have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior have access to the throne of God that only the priests had once a year in the Holy of Holies. When Jesus was crucified on the cross and the, and the veil was torn from top to bottom, it opened or gave access to all of us who have come into a right relationship with God through Christ to be able to come boldly before the throne of grace because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. The point that I'm trying to make is, is that the priesthood of the Old Testament, we are now the priesthood of the New Testament. There is only one mediator, according to 1 Timothy, between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ our Lord. We need not go through a priest to have access to the throne of grace. We, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, can pray directly to God, do not pass go, do not have to go through anybody else here on earth. We have access to God that nobody in the history of the world had up until the time of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the point is very simple. The priesthood of the Old Testament, we now become the priests of the New Testament. Now I'm wondering as we take a look at this, would we not also consider the fact that God wants us to be clear thinking as well, to understand the truths of God? I don't know. Let's not stop there. Let's look at Numbers uh, 6.3. Numbers 6.3, we read this about the Nazarites who were also instructed not to drink alcoholic beverages. He shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. The vow of a Nazarite was taken for a period of time when a man was totally committed 100% to do the will of God in his life. So as we look at this, we understand what's being said, and that is very simply this. Hey, listen, a Nazarite was not only to not drink alcoholic beverages, 
But to eliminate any confusion, God says, hey, you know what? And don't even eat grapes or raisins. Don't even get up in the morning and have raisin bran or grape nuts. You know what I'm saying? Stay away from it altogether. We're gonna, you know, God wants to eliminate any confusion about the subject. He's saying, hey, not only you're not even to test your grape on the vine or to eat a dried up grape when it becomes a raisin, nor anything in between. If you're to be totally committed, 100% to doing what God requires us to do in our life and be dedicated to the Lord, a Nazarite was told, don't touch the stuff, stay away from it. Say, well, you know, that's a Nazarite. I'm not a Nazarite. Okay, well, let's take a look at Isaiah 28, 1 and 7. Another thought to consider. In Isaiah 28, 1 and 7, the prophets were told they're not to drink alcoholic beverages either. And here's the reason for it. Prophets were those who declared the truth of the Word of God. Prophets were those who had direct access to God, and usually God spoke to them, through them, to the people. And so it, had, it was very critical that they understood whether what they heard or what they were speaking was truly coming from God. There's no room for any miscommunication here. And in Isaiah 28, God rebukes the prophets because they had a problem with drinking alcoholic beverages. And he said, Woe to the crown of the pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower. But they also have erred through wine, and through intoxicating drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. What God was saying to the prophets was, stay away from alcoholic beverages because I want the people to understand that this truly is my word coming through you and not your own thoughts and perverse thoughts, according to Proverbs 23, not your own understanding of things, not your own interpretation of things, but you need to have a clear mind so you can clearly teach the word of God. Stop and think about some of the cults that we've had in, a, in, a, in the course of our recent history Men who perverted the truth of God by either alcoholic beverages or by the consumption of illegal drugs of some sort. And they began to hear and utter perverse things that aren't according to the truth of God. They distort the truth of the word of God for their own personal gain or philosophy. And they get everything manipulated and all messed up because they're not clear thinking, they're not clear minded people. And many times alcoholic beverages and drugs are part of the confusion that's involved. And God's saying to the prophets, listen, if you're going to declare truth, you've got to stay away from this stuff so that when the people hear it is the truth of the word of God, they know that it's me talking and not some booze. You understand how serious this is? And God's saying, look, that's the only way. And if there wasn't a problem with all this, then why is God denying that priests and Nazarites and prophets should even drink alcoholic beverages? Here's an interesting thought, too. Proverbs 31, 4 and 5. Flip to Proverbs and take a look at this. God says that kings and princes should not drink alcoholic beverages. Government leaders, rulers, people that are in leadership position. Proverbs 31, 4 and 5. Look what he says. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink. And here's the reason why. Lest they drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Once again... Those in a leadership position, those who are kings or government leaders, God is saying to them, listen, don't drink alcoholic beverages because what will happen is when you do, you'll forget what is right and you'll begin to do what is wrong. You will pervert justice and you will afflict all the people. God's saying that, hey, you know what? If that's a position that you're in, you shouldn't drink it. 
Now, here's an interesting one as far as church leaders are concerned, and this is a fun one, and if you get your Bibles, turn and look at this. God also says that elders and bishops, and we'll jump down to here, and that deacons should not drink alcoholic beverages. And you got churches all across America that are all, you know, this becomes a major issue, you know, for the qualifications of somebody on a board. And, you know, and they jump around and they try to do all kinds of gymnastics to try to figure out how, you know, a good qualified man who likes to drink a wine or beer every now and then can still somehow make the qualification list. And so you take a look at this, and in 1 Timothy uh, 1.7, we read this. A bishop or an elder must not be, and here's where the problem comes, must not be given or addicted to wine, 1 Timothy 3, 2, and 3. And it's also repeated in Titus uh, 1, 7. Now, deacons, it says, and likewise, likewise, the same as elders, same as bishops, same as leaders in the church, deacons are likewise, must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. Okay, it goes on. Now, here's where we have a problem in English. When you read something that says he must not be addicted to wine, in English what it does is it says to me, you know what? He can drink it as long as he doesn't have a problem with it. That's what it says to me in English. Or not be given too much wine, meaning that that's okay if he has a little wine. I mean, you follow what the problem is here as you read something like that? And so the gymnastics is, does it mean that he can drink but not be addicted to it, not be, you know, not be uh, controlled by it, that uh, he can drink a little but not much? Uh, what does it really mean? Well, the problem is, in English, it doesn't do justice to what it says in Greek. And the Greek basically means this. He shouldn't get anywhere near it. He should stay totally away from it. And all extra-biblical uh, materials that you can read on the subject of drinking, especially in Jewish uh, culture and things of that nature, when you read the same type of statements that are being made, basically it's a categorical statement that says, literally, don't even be beside it. Don't even stand next to it. Don't even let it in your presence. Stay totally and completely away from it. See, and this is where we have to learn to understand to interpret Scripture in light of Scripture. That is what the passage says, and if that's not enough to convince us, then what we need to do at that point is look at the other evidence that's available in the Bible. You always interpret a book in the context in which the book was written, and if there's any confusion about what the context actually is, then we interpret that passage in light of the entirety of Scripture. And so you can't pull a verse out of the middle of a passage and say, this is what this verse means to me, when every, all the rest of the evidence in the Bible is saying exactly the opposite. Jesus wept. Why? Because he was a little sissy, right? No, because he was at a funeral. And you interpret that statement in light of the context in which it was going on. And you understand the compassion of Jesus as you read all throughout the Gospels how much he cared for people. But you could take a verse and make it say anything that you want. And so the danger is we see this as a... To alcoholic beverages. Oh, I needed that. I feel better now is that it's not a matter of, is that mean not addicted? He can drink some, but not much. He can drink you know, a little bit. But no, it means very simply this. Completely stay away from it. And the same was true of John the Baptist in Luke 1, 15 and 16. I love this passage because he talks about, John the Baptist was a Nazarite, but also it talks about uh, his separation um, for his service according to the, to the Lord. And it was, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn away many. Of, uh, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Isn't that a wonderful result of living a godly lifestyle? The example that he led would turn many to the Lord his God. Now, now let me let me challenge you to think about something. Okay, ladies, here's a Father's Day deal. Okay. 
as I look at all of these situations, I ask myself this question. If it is so important that leaders are clear-minded, clear-thinking, and can understand the truth of God so we don't pervert it to do whatever we want to do, if that is so important for priests and Nazarites and prophets and kings and princes and elders and bishops, basically government leaders, church leaders, um, if that's so important, wouldn't it be equally as important for fathers to be clear-minded as to the direction that their family should go? Don't you think that would make sense? Wouldn't it be equally as important for those who are in a leadership position in their business to be clear-minded as to how to direct and run their business so they can clearly hear and understand the challenge and the direction of the will of God for their life and the, and the business that they're entrusted with as stewards of things that God has entrusted to them? Wouldn't it be equally as important to be clear-minded as a father and a leader of your home as a leader in business? Wouldn't it be equally uh, important for somebody who is in an influential position as a teacher or a coach uh, to be clear-minded in their thinking and understanding of direction as far as God wants them to go in their life and the direction that they're going to uh, lead other people? Uh, you know, wouldn't it be e equally as important for church leaders, certainly, to uh, have clear thoughts and direction as they are challenged to consider the truth of the Word of God and the direction that they should take a congregation? And, and wouldn't it be equally as clear-minded for those who are in elected positions, uh, government positions, to have uh, a, a, a qualification or characteristic to be clear-minded and to stay away from alcoholic beverages? How many times do we have to read in the newspapers about some government position or government official that got drunk and did something stupid or was using drugs or did something else? And, 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 and wouldn't it be wonderful to eliminate all of that kind of nonsense from the leadership positions of our country? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were clear-minded people that could clearly understand and hear what God has to say in our life for every area of our life? See, I, I don't know about you, but those are the kind of things that I'm challenged with as I consider what God has to say about the problem of drinking. We can rationalize, we can justify anything, um, but there's ample evidence to look at to consider the fact that Drinking alcoholic beverages is not wise behavior. It's just not. Drinking alcoholic beverages uh, clouds our objectivity uh, to understanding the truth of the Word of God. It distorts our leadership capabilities and capacities. And wouldn't it be a wonderful Father's Day gift, men and grandfathers, to give to your families, to your children, to your wife, to your grandchildren, to make a commitment to them to stop drinking alcoholic beverages so that you can become the godly man that God desires in your life. Wouldn't that be a wonderful Father's Day gift? That would be a great gift to give our families. And, and uh, man, I don't know any family that has somebody in their family that has a problem with drinking alcoholic beverages that wouldn't say, man, I've been praying for that for a long time. Wouldn't that be a wonderful gift to give to your employees or the kids that you influence? Wouldn't that be a great gift? If that's not enough, let's consider one more thing. And that is that alcoholic beverages are designed to help people forget their misery. Now some of you say, oh good, here's a good argument for me. You know, now we're turning this thing around, I got a chance here. You know, and that's what it says, alcoholic beverages are designed, basically are designed to help people forget their misery. Look what it says, give beer or alcoholic beverages intoxicating drink to those who are perishing. I want you to pick out a couple of things here. Give it to those who are perishing, wine to those who are in anguish, 
Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. And everyone's miserable says, oh, yeah, all right, now we got a chance here. What's going on? You know, you're having a bad day. And it's almost like you think it was a command, right? Hey, you're miserable? Give them a drink. Somebody comes to my house. See, this is how we can really mess up through what the Bible has to say about anything, right? Somebody comes to your house. How's your day going? I'm miserable. Hey, have a drink. Well, just following the you know, command here. That's what it says. Give them to those who are miserable. Proverbs 31, 6 and 7. New American Standard says this. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. As you read through this, you can't help but pick out a couple of things. Perishing, anguish, poverty, misery. Do you understand what God's saying about alcoholic beverages here? He's saying that for those who have no hope, for those who are miserable in life, they have no hope, they have no future, they have no direction, they see no way out of their problems, for those people, the world has designed a solution. And what he's saying is, the world has designed for the world that is miserable and has no hope, a solution to their problems, and that is alcoholic beverages. For those that have no hope, we offer you hope. Drown your sorrows. Think about the concept. How many people have ever thought that or heard that when you've, in that experience that you've already shared with me, that you raised your hands, when you got drunk, how many times was it because you were trying to drown your sorrows or some trouble that you were having and you turned to the booze to be able to somehow anesthetize everything that you were going through? Think about that whole concept for a moment. You know, think about the person that says, you know what, man, you're going you're gonna to drive me to drink. Man, you know, no wonder I drink. Oh, man, you know, you, you make me drink. <laughs> no, I wasn't saying that to him. I was just, it was like, that's the kind of statements, right? Or, or this kind of thing. Well, you know what, I just need a drink to unwind. I just need a drink to relax me. You know, I mean, we've heard that. You know, we've heard those statements. And in fact, a, a couple of years ago, Linda and I were visiting a friend who's not a Christian. And um, it was about noontime and he was having a drink and his daughter called on the phone. And it was one of those kind of daughters. And anybody has one in their family knows what kind of daughter I'm talking about. The kind that is just a constant irritation, you know, a, a, a burr under the saddle. Nothing but trouble from the time that he can remember. And, and she was on the phone again and his wife said, she's on the phone again. And he picked up the phone and he started. And she started and I could just tell things weren't going real good. And there was another problem that was going on and he had to bail her out again and it was a, just a mess. And you know, it really makes for a fun afternoon after a call like that. But, uh, but he was standing at the bar and he took a fifth of vodka and he dumped it about 75% full in a glass. And he took a little bit of orange juice and just dumped enough just to change the color. And after he hung up, he just took it and went and just downed it. You know, and, it, and I was reminded of that because how many people who struggle with difficulties in their life do the same thing? See, the, the alcoholic beverages are designed by a world for a world that has no hope, that's in despair, that has nowhere to turn. It's interesting, too. You know, if you read the Gospels, when Jesus was dying on the cross, you know what they did? They tried to stick vinegar which was, which was basically fermented wine. They tried to stick it in his mouth because they realized... In their minds, he had no hope. It was designed to help him, you know, anesthetize what he was going through. He had no hope, according to the world, and that was the solution. See, nowhere in the Bible will you find that God's people are encouraged to turn to booze for comfort. Isn't it interesting? There's a, a, an alcoholic beverage called Southern Comfort. Isn't that interesting? 
There's nowhere in the Bible that we're encouraged as God's people to turn to booze for comfort from the difficult situations of life. Nowhere. Nowhere in the Bible will you find any inference that God's people have no hope. And in fact, the Bible is completely the opposite. It says, don't be in despair as those who have no hope. You know what the Bible, I mean, the Bible teaches us this. Hey, for those who have trouble, and we all do, Jesus said this, cast all your cares upon me, for I will care for you. It's funny, because when I talk to people about, you know, Christianity, I talk to them about accepting Jesus Christ, they say, hey man, that's just a crutch in your life. I say, absolutely. What's your crutch? Your job? Booze? Drugs? Women? Money? Your house? What's your crutch? Everybody's leaning on something. But I'd rather lean on someone. I'd rather lean on the rock than something that's not going to support my weight. I'd rather lean on the Lord who says, cast your cares upon me and I'll hold you up. I'd rather lean on the Lord, God of the universe, who created the universe and holds it all together simply by, by His Word and sustains every one of us here as we sit here today, sustains our life simply by His Word. I'd rather lean on someone who is stable than on something that is not. We're all leaning on something, folks. Stop leaning on booze because it doesn't hold you up. And in fact, it's going to mock in your face. It's going to laugh at you at the last time. And you're going to go, man, I guess it was a dangerous situation. No, see, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've got somewhere to lean, and you're entitled to the same rights and privileges as every person that you'll read about in the Word of God. And in closing, I want to share with you uh, in uh, Psalm 23. I love this psalm, but it, you know, sometimes it makes more sense than others as you read through these things. But the bottom line is this. I, as a child of God, and you as a child of God, can make the same claim that David makes as he writes the psalm. You can make the same claim that the Apostle Paul makes when he says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We have the same ability to be able to make these same claims that is found here in the Word of God as an encouragement. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd. What a wonderful thought. A personal God, not abstract, not out of reach, not out of sight. We have access and we can boldly go before the throne of God, the throne of grace, because of our relationship with Christ. The Bible says that we are children of God to those who believe in His name. The Bible says that we are adopted as sons, that we are now in God's family. And because of that, we have access to be able to go to the most wonderful Father on Father's Day that anybody can turn to, and that's God Himself. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, and because of that, I shall not want. I don't have a problem in the world. I don't have a care in the world. I don't care what, if I'm suffering from an illness or if I'm suffering from tough times at work or if my kids are sick or something's going on. I don't have a care in the world because God is my shepherd and I shall not want. He'll never let me go without. He said he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Hey man, you need a drink to chill out after being on the freeway. You know what the, you know what the Bible says you're entitled to? God will make you lie down in green pastures. You turn to him, he'll make you lie down. He'll, he'll eliminate the stress. He'll alleviate all the garbage in your life. You don't have to turn to southern comfort. You can turn to the comfort of God of the universe, and he'll take care of all your needs. He'll make me unwind. He can do that. If he can sustain the universe, he can make me chill out after a tough day. He leads me beside quiet waters. What a picture of rest. He restores my soul. When I'm burned out and down and discouraged, and I want to turn to a bottle or a drink of some kind, I don't need to do that. I can just go to God. And he'll restore my soul. He'll guide me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. I'll do the right thing because of my relationship with him. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know what? I'll fear no evil. I have nothing to fear. Not because I don't have anything to fear because, you know what? It's all in God's hands. Anything that's going on in my life, the difficulties that he allows, it's not because he's been sleeping or daydreaming and doesn't know what's going on. He has ordained it from the beginning of the universe until now. 
for his purposes and his glory and for our growth. I don't have to fear anything. And his rod and his staff will comfort me. And when my enemies rise up around me and they're starting to destroy me and try to tear me apart, you know what? He prepares a table before me in their presence. I'm always right there, right by him. He has anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. And surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And you know what I can look forward to? I'm going to dwell in the house of God forever. What are temporary afflictions when we know where our eternity is resting? What's a temporary affliction here on earth when we know that he's building a mansion for us right now as we stand here today and study his word? Man, I'll tell you what. Let me just share with you three things. I don't know how you can get around it, but you can give it a good shot. Alcoholic beverages are dangerous. Plain and simple. They're deceptive, they're destructive, and they diminish our ability to do what's right before God. Alcoholic beverages are denied to leaders. They're clear-minded. Alcoholic beverages are designed to forget misery by a world that has no hope and nowhere to turn. Let me ask you a couple questions. Are you wise in the way that you live your life? Are you a clear-thinking leader? Are you one that has hope? Or do you drink? That's really the option. Dads and granddads, this Father's Day, why don't you give your family a gift that will show them how much you love them. Stop drinking alcoholic beverages. And if you need help stopping, there's plenty of people who love you and care for you, and there's plenty of places to turn that will do what needs to be done to honor that commitment that you have to do what's right. Next week, we'll take a look at some more. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this opportunity to look clearly again into your word. God, help us to understand that we are bombarded by a world that has messages that are obviously contrary to what we're reading and studying today. They spend billions of dollars to convince us that there's nothing wrong with drinking, that it's not dangerous, that it's not a problem. You can handle it. You can control it. You can have a designated driver. You got, there's all kind of answers. There's all kind of rationalizations to try to help us to continue to buy products that are destroying our lives. God, may we be committed to doing what's right according to the evidence that we see in your word. And as we sit here today, if we've come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you tell us that you have given us your Holy Spirit to reside within us to convict us of righteous, righteous ways to live in, to convict us of areas that were wrong in our life. And God, we know that as we sit here, if we're doing anything that's wrong, that your spirit is tugging on our hearts, telling us what we need to do. May we not reject him. May we listen to his voice. May we be committed to doing what's right. And God, I just pray for every man that's here that we would become the men that you want us to be, to lead our families, to lead our businesses, to lead our communities, to lead our state, and to lead this nation in a way that is proper and that is right before you. God, may we become that type of man. And what better day to make that commitment than on Father's Day. And God, we just thank you and praise you that you'll give us the strength to do what's right. In Jesus' name, amen.